All rise in the courtroom and to those listening on stream for the dishonorable badger is entering the scene. Apparently doing this as a day job simply was not enough. So let your jaws drop to the floor cause we can't make this stuff up. Welcome back to the legal fun house. We put the fun in dysfunctional. It's crazy in the legal fun house but weirdly educational. But every single one is remarkably true. to law school and is more than qualified to talk about the strangest cases from the strangest people alive and the friend that he brought along barely past eighth grade whose legal experience lies within parking in the fire lane welcome back to the legal fun house we're just as confused as you it's finally time for the legal fun house and without further ado Every single one is remarkably true. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 22 of Boozy's Legal Funhouse, A Tale of Two Caveats. I'm your host, the Boozy Badger, Boozy Barrister, and I have a special guest with me today who's going to be participating in these on a much more frequent basis so we can explain basic legal concepts to a layman. Would you like to introduce yourself, layman? Hello, everyone. I'm your layman for the evening. My name is Alkali. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm very excited to hear all the craziness that Boozy is about to do, uh, and we'll probably disagree with everything. That being said, we are part of the Dragon Show over here. If you have a moment, don't forget to join or uh, subscribe to the Dragon Show over on Twitch. This is our Patreon page, and this is a bunch of art. Uh, that is my advertisement. I love all my patrons. Uh, Back to you, buddy. Uh, I do want to point out for the people who are listening to this uh after it's recorded. We do record these live over on twitch.tv slash boozybadger, and then I make them into their primary format, which is a podcast, which is an audio form, which doesn't show the art, you tall motherfucker. Yeah, but I showed it to the people who were watching now, so now everyone else is going to be like, I want to see this art, and they're going to tune in live. Live, Boozy! Live! Only if you give them your Twitch address, which you most definitely did not. That's because I don't know it. <laughs> it is. a really good reason, don't you think? It is twitch.tv, Alkali, and I, Zanny. Okay, so I'll be honest with you. I couldn't remember whose name came first. <laughs> Zanny deserves top billing, but they made it, and we both have low self-esteem. It was a crapshoot. So for those of you who are tuning in, as I promised you, the Legal Funhouse is back. We are back on a regular basis. It's going to be about once every other week right now. Uh, you're listening to this three days after we recorded episode 21 with uh, my spouse as our guest on moving on up to the legal promised land. Uh, I was going to record it next week, and then I got a hold of Alkali, who's going to be a, a frequent co-host and guest on this um, and said, when do you want to record the next one? And he said, I got time Friday. Uh, 
<laughs> As I said last time, I'm in government work now, and today is a government holiday, and that means that I'm just sitting on my couch today. So, uh, yeah. We went ahead with that, but as you know, if you're a frequent listener, before we get started, I do have to give out the names of our Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash lawyersandliquor. So a special thank you to Dragar, Petro Neutrino. Ah, let's let's start that again. Uh, once again, uh, yeah, yeah, Dragar, um, <laughs> once again, to remind the, the listeners, it's live and I'm lazy, so I don't cut my mistakes out of the audio before we put it up on Spotify. <laughs> so, I'm sure you'll take care of mine, though, right? No, ab- ab- absolutely fucking not. So a special <laughs> thank you to Dragor, Petroff Neutrino, Tezcat Magic Jag, Waylon DeRoche, Beaten Dose of the Trash, Panda Mama T, Uncle Kage, Evelyn Klein, Lisa Lupe, Lufus the Raccoon, Netherlinks, Pandemonium, Buddy Goodboy, CC Otter, Chroma Hydra, David Hunter, A, The Weather Fox, Flat Facts, Ghost Goat, Grishan, Gallinger, Head Fox, and Ian Delahorn, Jason Knight, Jerry A, John Michael Carden, Julie Esslinger, Jess James, Lack Mark, Whipple Michael Blocker, Nikolai, Red Fox, Scuba Fox, The Dragon Show, and Tiny Voices. If you want to be one of those wonderful people, you can do that over at Patreon.com com slash lawyers and liquor you can also find our podcast as you know right now because you're listening to it on any podcasting service such as spotify we are on apple podcast you can go to buzzsprout and find our rss feed remember if you do listen to it on one of those please give us a rating five stars i don't give a shit uh just uh just get some ears on this shit i'd love to start getting paid for doing it at some point in my lifetime that's it it is time for the boozy's legal funhouse disclaimer Remember, I am a lawyer, but I am not your lawyer. The way I would become your lawyer is you would come into my office, tell me about your legal issue. I would say I could help with that. We'd agree on a retainer that you would then pay to me, a retainer of my fucking choosing. You don't just get to PayPal me a buck. You would sign a retainer agreement and I would undertake representation. You would do all those things if I was in private practice, but I'm not. I work for the government, so I have no private clients. I am not your attorney. No attorney-client relationship is created by anything we talk about here. This is not legal advice. It is an educational and informational podcast. The way you get a lawyer is you fucking find one. Please do not say a fat guy on an internet told me this, so it must be true. That said and done, it is time now, as I have told Alkali several times, to remind him of how this fucking works for our three legal news stories of the week. All three of our stories, once again this week, come from the ABA Journal, that is the American Bar Association Journal, and I have tailored them to some extent to our guest. If you don't know Alkali from Alkali from the Dragon Show and Alkali and Zanny, Alkali, much like me, is a comedian, a much better comedian, a much taller comedian, a uh, hairier comedian. The last two might be true, but the first one totally was no one. That was very kind of you. Thank you. Uh, and as a comedian, Alkali, what do we do? What 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 do you do with people? Do you make fun of people every now and again? We are clowns. How did I get a follow? I'm not streaming. I love you, whoever just followed me. <laughs> I just got to follow off stream. Uh, We are clowns. We are here to entertain and to somewhat inform in an entertaining way. Well, if that includes making fun of people, uh, don't do it in the first circuit. 
The, the First Circuit Federal Court of Appeals today has stated that they are uploading a law making it a crime to ridicule people with false statements. I am getting a little bit of feedback. I think it may be from you, Alkali. It's almost definitely yep. from me. I think I have you a little too loud. That should fix it. All right. And once again, if you're listening at that. home, um, not editing out the fuck-ups. Not any that takes work that I am unwilling to do. If my spouse ever wants to try their hand at audio editing, they're more than welcome to. I'm not fucking doing it though. I don't mind the video, but the audio, I uh... so a federal appeals court in New Hampshire has upheld a law of that state that makes it a misdemeanor to knowingly make false statements that subject another person to public hatred, contempt, or ridicule. This whole case came about because a guy named Freeze, no shit, Freeze. Um, approaching. Gotcha. Yeah, Ro- Robert Freeze has twice been charged with a violation of a New Hampshire criminal defamation law. His most recent arrest for it was in 2018 when he made online allegations that a retiring police officer was, quote, the dirtiest and most corrupt cop he had ever had the displeasure of knowing and, because that wasn't enough, claimed that the cop's uh, daughter was a, uh, what what do you think I'm going to say? Do you think I'm going to say brain surgeon? Uh, Do you think I'm going to say rocket scientist? Uh, Upright standing? No, no, prostitute. He called the cop's daughter a prostitute. We definitely were going there. So Richard Freeze is kind of a cold dick, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, Robert Freeze is a bit of a dick. Um, Now that arrest... No, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. That arrest was actually dropped because the Attorney General New Hampshire's office issued an opinion in the matter that stated there was no evidence he knew his statements were false when he made them. Um, Which, in light of the statements made, seemed like the cop, like, yeah, the the Attorney General sitting there in New Hampshire like, that cop said, maybe she's a whore. She, She may be a whore, who knows, right? Is that how a whore until proven <laughs> virtuous? Like, is that how this works in law? I was not aware of this. I, I mean, I just, I love, I, he couldn't have known that she wasn't a prostitute. Um, he had actually previously been charged in 2012 for claiming on, and God, this is this is how old we are for claiming on Craigslist. That a life coach's business was a scam and that the person was involved in a road rage incident and the distribution of heroin. Uh, That's the first thing you should look for in your life coach, by the way, is a good heroin connection. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, that that when I'm looking for somebody to coach my life, a giant cloud of smoke around their head and looking like pig pen. Yep, that's it. That's the one. In in both cases... uh, that there was really no conviction on this. Uh, the 2018 one, that, that is the cop's daughter is a prostitute case, though. He, uh, he sued, represented by the American Civil Liberties Union, uh, saying in his complaint that the criminal defamation law, the law that said uh, you could be criminally charged for making statements like that, violated his First Amendment and Fourteenth Amendment rights. The first, uh, you know, the, the, if you really, if you go back and you read the legislative record of when they were uh, arguing the Bill of Rights, it, it's right there. And, it, uh, you know, there's Thomas Jefferson, they're talking about the First Amendment, and Thomas Jefferson and James Madison have a, uh, 
have a long discussion about whether or not they can call a constable's daughter a whore and if that's protected yeah. or not. It's it's right there. Uh, the first it's cir- all in the notes. Oh, really quick. So, from what I understand, again, layman, that that is defamation of character. It, it it has nothing to do with you saying bad things. It's knowingly saying false bad thing. Is that how it works? Yeah, like if you know that it's false, and, and like there's more to it. It's so not just. Hold a- on. Are you telling me the stupider you are, the meaner you get to be? I didn't know that I didn't I- that he didn't have a penis. He could have had his penis cut off. So when I told <laughs> everyone he was dickless, I was assuming, well, eunuchs exist. Game of Thrones is quite popular right now, and you've got eight legs like a spider. Wow, we like is that how this works? Yeah, more. more I love the fact that you're because like the problem is, is I now know what's going through your head, which you're sitting. They're like, well, I'm pretty fucking stupid. Um, so I can I can call you people anything and not be that. prosecuted. Uh, that's not how it works. Um, no, that's only not how it works in traffic stops. I always hear uh, ignorance is no excuse. But this law, the more ignorant you are, the more hate crimes you well, can do. So. The, the, the crime of defamation does have what we call the scienter requirement, the knowledge requirement. And, and that is, you know, you, you have to either know or reasonably would have known that the statements aren't true. That's why the the truth is a, is a defense to a defamation statement. Like, if somebody, like, if he called the officer's daughter a prostitute and uh, he had been sued just for that, sued civilly, um, okay. just for that, and then, like, in the case, it comes out she actually is a prostitute, that's a defense. The statement's not a false statement. Okay. On that. Now, hear me out. What if the uh, lawsuit is for the exact amount of money that you would have paid to a prostitute? Like, are the, can you tip in the hat? And they're like, yeah, we know. We know. Well, that, that's that's the other part of it is you've always got to prove damages in a civil defamation matter. Um, and damages can be hard to ascertain sometimes. You actually, the most common relief in defamation uh, is not really damages, uh, punitives, which is, you know, you did really wrong, so we're going to hit you for a lot more money to discourage other people from doing wrong and discourage from you from doing wrong, but it's not linked to the actual damages. You'll see what we call uh, nominal damages, which is like a buck. Like, you know, we're awarding a dollar in nominal damages, 100,000 in punitives, uh, and we're giving you an injunction. And an injunction is a court order that says, don't do that. Um, that's the, you're saying the court went, uh, here's a dollar because that's all the damages you did. Here's a finger waggle because you shouldn't have done it. Oh yeah. And for the four people who read this case and the 30 people who listen to boozy show, they're going to know that we charged you a hundred thousand dollars for this prostitute. Yeah. 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 That, that's the idea of punitives. It, it is an amount of money to discourage. But this wasn't a civil case. This was a criminal case. This wasn't like the cop was suing him. This was, there is a New Hampshire law that makes it a crime to do these things. And we always put crimes on kind of a higher standard. So his challenge was, okay, maybe I can be sued for this, but the law should not criminally charge me for this. Uh, the, okay. the First Circuit actually came back and said, no, the law can. 
we will criminal we will allow based on a 1964 Supreme Court case Garrison v Louisiana and you know when you see Louisiana in a court name you you always know it's going to be the most forward thinking court decision on the thing. like Louisiana bastion of the future um but that upheld criminalizing false speech and uh, said, yeah, no, we can impose criminal sanctions for this. Uh, that the law was not what we call unconstitutionally vague because it provided adequate guidelines for the law enforcement to follow. And, now, is this uh, the notice. truth thing again, though? Is, the, is that the guideline that makes this not yeah. uh, a stepping on First Amendment rights? I mean, because you must... Be false. Right? I mean, and, and that's the question. I have to look at the New Hampshire law, but you know, if it's not a false statement, how can it be defamation? It's it's right. just right on its bat. If it's a true statement, it's not a defamatory statement. This is amazing. So what the shit? <laughs> uh, well, it's got to be even more amazing for you when you hear that New Hampshire's not actually unique. It's it's in what we call the minority of states in having these types of laws. But uh, 13 states in total still have those laws. In, oh, my God. In addition to New Hampshire, uh, there are criminal defamation statutes on the books that the First Circuit has now supported based uh, in Idaho, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Minnesota, New Mexico, North Carolina, North Dakota, Oklahoma, Utah, Virginia, and Wisconsin. So what you're telling me is you just listed all the states that need to make Twitter illegal. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> I mean, yeah, because basically. That's... Fucking yeah, basically. Yeah. Basically. Uh, our second. How do those courts have any time for anything else? Donald Trump existed, man. Like that's, that's, that's all day, every day. It's it's funny you should say that. Uh, oh, I'll, Jesus I'll explain that one in a moment. Um, however, let's go to our second news story, again from the ABA Journal. Uh, this one comes out of Illinois, actually. Yay. Uh, it is a case that arose out of southwest Illinois. The appellate court of Illinois' 5th district has upheld the conviction of William P. Wasmond of Chester, Illinois. Uh, what do you think William P. Wasmond was convicted of? William P. Wasmond? Well, you said southern Illinois, so we're going with uh, bestiality in the guise of a farming tool used to spread crops. Good guess. Good guess. Uh, no, he set up a booby trap in the shed on the back of his property with a shotgun that killed a guy named Jeffrey Spicer. What the? You... Spit. How? Why? Okay, there are so many questions here. Was this a normal thing? Was Spicer stealing his hoe? Not related to the last story? Well, here's this is this is the fun part. Uh, Wasman had placed a shotgun on a vice and a table in the shed, pointed directly towards the door, with a rope attached to the trigger, so that if the door was opened, it would fire. He then put a warning sign on the shed door that said, do not enter. By penalty of shotgun? Was that listed? <laughs> no, that, that, that was not listed. Uh, months before, Jeffrey Spicer emptied the shed door. And, and the property was vacant, by the way. I should say that. Like, there was a fire at Wasman's house. He left while it was being there. And, like, his thing was, uh, you know, nobody needs to get my hoe. 
So he puts a shotgun in the fight like, Jerry borrowed my weed trimmer, never brought it back. Next motherfucker who comes in here for pot and soils, getting two barrels in the chest. Um, he had nothing to protect. <laughs> Why did, what? It's just, holy shit, people are bored in Southern Illinois. Um, now, Wasman had told an acquaintance he set up the shotgun to scare a previous burglar. Uh, he then said the gun wasn't loaded. When the acquaintance like, when the acquaintance said, "Dude, you booby trapped your shed with the shotgun," he's like, "I ah, don't worry, it's not loaded." And then Jeff Spicer opened the door and got shot in the chest. Uh, Obviously, Spicer went in, seeing the sign of warning, "Do not enter." His curiosity was piqued. He went in, loaded the gun to make sure the booby trap was a neighborly thing to do. Yeah, not case closed, not guilty. Um, he then denied with detectives that he ever shot, set up the shotgun. You know, the guy who admitted to setting up the shotgun came back and told him, no, no, no clue. You know, the, the shotgun bandit did it. He breaks into people's sheds and sets up spring gun traps. You've never seen Fargo. It could happen. I... Now, now, Wasmond had told detectives, and you're going to love this, there ain't nothing left there to steal when he said he didn't set up the shotgun. What the fuck? Okay. So, okay. So Wasman was obviously charged with murder. Uh, his defense, uh, if I did it, it was in defense of my property and therefore is an allowable use of force. I mean, see... As a layman, again, my thought is, obviously, this guy did wrong, but by the law, did he? That's his, like, how does that actually work? It's his property. They shouldn't be in there, but he set up something uh, because it's so deadly, right? Because yeah, it wasn't. There you go. And it's actually the, the, the tip for lawyers was when I said the words spring gun trap. And there are lawyers who do listen to this. Uh, there is a case that you learn in law school that is almost identical to this. No shit. No shit. A guy set up a shotgun spring gun trap to defend a barn from being burglarized. And it came back and said, you can't use lethal force to protect property. Okay. What was the idea okay. of that case? Yeah, it's it's just like, you know, the, protecting property does not in and of itself justify the use of lethal force. Now, Illinois law does justify uh, lethal force uh, if they believe uh, that such force is necessary to prevent the commission of what we call a forcible felony. Now, burglary is actually considered a forcible felony, but what, what that's really getting at is, is felonies that endanger life. They're violent crimes, not right. breaking into the fucking shed. Well, that's got to be the other thing. You have no control over this gun. You just, you didn't set up a gun to stop a burglar. You set up an item to murder a person who opens a door. I can't imagine. Also, I have a new question for you that I just thought of. Should we arrest Macaulay Calkin? <laughs> Honestly, yeah, probably. <laughs> Believe right? it. Okay, I'm really glad. Believe it or not, if you search, there are scholarly articles out there about the application of justified force to the Home Alone movies. Interesting. Like, like this. This is the shit lawyers nerd out about. It's stuff like that. This is this is why I'm not allowed to watch movies anymore. <laughs> oh, this is the reason. Sure. <laughs> 
I just like the idea of like Macaulay Culkin saying that. Well, I can explain the Hot Wheels by saying I'm a child and I was playing the paint can. Well, redecorating. My parents were gone. I needed to redecorate. Nail on the step. Uh, I hate my feet. Well, I, uh, I have a foot fetish. I'm trying to get over it. And, and Nails see, on the-, the thing is, though, is uh, yeah, it's not you can't cause any bodily harm. It's you can't cause great bodily harm or take a means that's likely to cause death. So flamethrower was out. Maybe that was too far is what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, flamethrower is probably definitely too far. Uh, Wasman should have known this, though. He, he really should have known this because uh, prior to setting up the shotgun, he had dug a hole in front of the door and put razor blades on the shed door to get to, and this is a direct fucking quote, get a good laugh when they broke their ankles and sliced their hands. Oh, everything about that is bad. He needs to go to jail. He is. Oh, he is. He, they upheld his murder conviction. He, he, he is in jail. Um, thank, thank you. Thank you. The booby trap bandit is no more. Oh, my God. I, okay, I, I have a new one. I need to know. I need to know. Would have been easier for his lawyer if instead of saying warning, it said Warning, spring-loaded shotgun aimed at door. I need to know because I mean, I'm I, curious, how I, does that work? Quite honestly, at that, I'd be like, I, I mean, I would use it. I, I'd be sitting here like, you know what? The sign on the door what, could not have been clear. It, it very clearly said, warning, there is a weapon that will kill you in this room. Yeah, like I, I kind of want to play devil's advocate because this guy needed to go to jail, absolutely. But on the other side of this, that that would be—I I don't know shit about shit, but that's exactly what I would argue. Yes, the, yeah, it, no, I told him. It, I told him it, you right, walk in here, you die. That's right. The fuck there. Now. Right. The fuck. Yeah. Steal my hedge trimmers at your own risk. It, it just, just like I actually stole that sign from a McDonald's play place, and just took a sharpie to edit it a little bit. What do you mean edited? I didn't have to. It was a Southern (laughs) Illinois pipe place. This is what they have. Shotguns and signs. Yeah. The Hamburglar's getting both barrels if he comes in my fucking shed. So you uh, you mentioned Trump and and how do courts administer justice and oh my God, how did they get anything done because of Trump, right? Right. Um. Well, our final legal news story, uh, once again, from the ABA Journal, uh, Deborah Cassins-Wise, a judge has stated, uh, U.S. District Judge Donald M. Middlebrooks of West Palm Beach, Florida, on November 10th, stated, courts aren't for performative litigation as he was sanctioning the lawyers for Donald J. Trump an amount of $50,000 in fines and $16,000 in legal fees for filing conspiracy-based lawsuits. Can we do that? Oh, Is yeah. that a thing? Yeah, like the courts? Oh, yeah, man. Judges do not... Like, you better have a reason to be in court because judges do not like having their time taken up by this shit. Uh, <laughs> I want to live in a world where the class action against Trump 
is every law student ever going, no, this wasted our time. It's your turn. Come on, man. We can set this up. Class action, all law. So Donald Trump. Donald Trump versus the law. Come on, man. Think of the title. You literally just described 2016 through 2020. Donald Trump versus the law. Oh, shit. So here's the fun thing. Um, that wasn't, he named 31 people and organizations as defendants in the lawsuit alleging a conspiracy to undermine Donald Trump's 2016 candidacy through false claims of Russian influence. That was the basis of the lawsuit. That was not, that, that decision was not as to all 31 defendants. It was as to one a guy named Charles Dolan, uh, sep- separate sanctions requests uh, by Hillary Clinton and other defendants are actually still pending in front of the court. Uh, Do- Dolan had argued that he couldn't be sued in Florida. Uh, he lived in Virginia. Uh, he served in Arlington, West Virginia. Uh, he was served there, uh, but the amended claim uh, says he, oh, he lives in New York. Uh, does not explain still why they're in fucking Florida suing him for these things. The judge came back and said, as to Trump's suit, these were political grievances masquerading as legal claims. Performative litigation for purposes of fundraising and political statements. Uh, Essentially said, don't use our fucking courts for this. They, the Trump, this judge, the Trump lawyers came back and said, oh, well, suing him in the wrong place was a mistake because Charles Dolan is an incredible common name and plaintiff's counsel's traditional search methods identified countless individuals with said name across the country, many of whom reside in New York. Did they just fucking Google Charles Dolan and be like, that's the one and file a lawsuit? God. Yeah, no, that's about right. That is, I can imagine that. Now, is this one of those ones? Because you've told me before how much power the judge has. Did he just put a stop to this? Is that that how this one works? I mean, basically, what's happened is is one of the defendants came in, uh, the the Dolan guy came in and said, "This is a meritless, baseless lawsuit. I shouldn't even be forced to defend it. The fact it was filed is an issue, and the court should sanction them and make them pay my attorney's fees." Uh, and the court came back and said, "Yeah, we agree." Uh, Middlebrooks said that the lawsuit as a whole reflects the cavalier attitude towards facts demonstrated throughout the case. Oh, what a line. I want that embroidered on a pillow. The cavalier attitude towards facts. I have have a Me and that freeze guy in New Hampshire. Victor Von Freeze, that motherfucker. You know, it's Charles Dolan's actual address. You know where it was? Where? A shed in southwestern Illinois. You don't want, you don't want to know what happened to the guy they sent to go get it. Um, full circle, motherfucker. Full circle. <laughs> <laughs> oh so, God. T- today's legal topic is something that a lot of attorneys are going to be familiar with, but you, Alkali, likely will not be. Before we go into it, though, I want to give you a chance as the wonderful co-host here uh, to to pimp out like like that police officer's daughter. Um, 
all of the things that you do for our listeners. Thank you so much, my friend. I really appreciate that. Uh, I am one half of the Drag It Show. That is Alkali and Zanny over on Twitch. Uh, you can find us there performing uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and our big one, Sunday mornings, 1130 a.m., doing Sunday brunch. Uh, we love to pass to our good friend Boozy Badger over here, so please join us and uh, ha have some fun. We play billiards on Thursdays. We try to do multiplayer games once a week. If you find us over there and we're on, stop by, say hi, give us a follow. As always, we really, really appreciate it. Uh, we've been doing this for a little while now, and... Uh, Honestly, it's been a blast. I want to give a huge thank you to Boozy for inviting me to do their show with them. This is uh, fun. Oh, I am <laughs> horrified what I'm about to learn about the American legal system <laughs> and uh, plan on taking full advantage of my newfound knowledge. <laughs> let, 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 me, let me start. You own a house and I own a house, right? Yeah. Like, like separate houses, by the way. We don't... <laughs> We don't have like a time. Yeah, we don't have like a timeshare in Ohio. We both drive to once a week. Uh, half of the year I get a bed. The other half of the year, running water is a luxury. <laughs> so, when you were shopping for your house, how did that go? Uh, I very much took my time. This is a uh, foreclosure house. Took me two and a half years to find it. Uh, half a year to get it ready, and uh, now I am living off the fact that I could not be paying a lower, lower mortgage because I bought a place with three walls. It's great. So w when you bought your house, there, there's things they did. Like, did you have a home inspector look at it? Did you look at it? Did you have an appraiser come in? All of the above. Everyone was horrified except for my uh, real estate agent who every problem they came up with, he put a dollar amount to to fix and then showed me how much I'd be saving over time. That That's why it took so long to move in. We repaired this place to uh, a wonderful level to the point where you've been to my house, you've seen my shower. It's me size. I am six foot eight and I have a shower for a six foot eight person. I'm thrilled. So, so you, you did some research, you looked into it. Uh, now you bought a foreclosure house. Did they give you any disclosures, any statements about the house? You know, you should be aware of the basement flooded five years ago, or the roof was last replaced in 1996, or did they say you're buying it as is. I was buying as is. Okay. So whatever, whatever you took it subject to, that was Correct. your fucking problem, right? That's all me. Yep. Okay. And did you have a title search done? You have somebody go out there, run the title, make sure it was clean? I'm going to guess that Dave did that, my, my real estate agent, but I don't remember having to tell someone to do that, which I am now aware maybe I should have. Yeah, 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 that's uh, like I always tell people, make sure you have a title search done before you buy property because that makes sure, you know, there's not someone sitting out there with a deed that's going to show up and say, oh, we own your house. Um at some point I down the road. I would have known you a few years ago. Goddamn. I would, I would okay. very strongly suggest you look through your paperwork for a title insurance document at some fucking point. I'm glad this first came out while I was recording a show, you absolute dipshit. Hey, you think I'm a dipshit now? Wait till you find out why I can't look for that information. Because I'm a genius and bought a firebox, a nice little safe that goes in my house, and it has a combination on it. A combination which 
I sat while roaring drunk. I have no idea how to get to the deed of my house. It is in a box. I know where the box is. If you ask me for the deed, I'm handing you a locked box and hoping you have the lockpick skill because I'm kind of fucked. Well, typically, when you buy a house, if you buy it in an arm's length transaction, they have to do something called real estate disclosures. And what those disclosures are are going to be different from state to state. And it depends on whether it's what we call a patent defect or a latent defect. Like in Pennsylvania, we actually have a a list that has to be part of the transaction for real estate disclosures that says things like uh, the basement has a history of flooding, to our knowledge, or the roof is leaking, or uh, if there's a septic tank on the property, you know, the septic tank has an issue, uh, and these are the last dates we had services done, things like that, things that would make the buyers aware of issues, especially issues that may not be obvious to them when they're yeah. purchasing the home you know because if if your basement is leaking but there's no evidence of the leak down there when your home inspector comes through and when you walk through if it's not raining how are you ever going to know that the basement floods every All time right. it rains, you're, you're not going to that's what we call a latent defect a defect that only the homeowner would know and real estate disclosures really are supposed to be disclosing that. Now, what is considered a latent defect versus what we call a patent defect? One that's really, really obvious that you okay. can discover yourself uh, through what, through something called reasonable due diligence. If you undertake it, if you look into it, you'll find it, right? Okay. Uh, just anything a reasonable person would do. That's a patent defect. The general rule of thumb is patent defects don't need to be specifically disclosed because if you did some reasonable research, you would know about it, and the law assumes that you, as the buyer, will do that research. Latent defects, things that the property owners themselves would only know about, are the things that are kind of iffy on disclosure. Some states will say this has to be disclosed, but that doesn't. Or uh, it's it's not material, a material defect like, you know, okay, your backyard may have standing water. Is that material to the home? If a court says, no, standing water during rains isn't, materi- isn't a material defect, it doesn't affect the structure or value of the property directly. Uh, so even though it's a latent defect, we're not going to require you to disclose it because it's not a material latent defect. All right. Okay. All right. I'm following so far. So if I'm also I... slightly worried that the solution to this entire thing is going to be, well, you were responsible for knowing that no one owns your home before, and you're going to hold up a deed, and I'm going to end up moving this week. <laughs> Boozy, is this how you're doing your first? Is this sweeps week, motherfucker? Yeah, yeah motherfucker. I'm taking your house. I, uh, that's you, you. You caught me out. I ruined the joke. <laughs> I've won. So. All that said, that that is just a basic groundwork. Very basic, very general groundwork. The important thing is to understand that every state's a little different on what they consider to be, uh, by law, a material latent defect that is subject to disclosure. It develops over time. Like uh, in New York, for instance, uh, you may want to disclose your house is haunted. Why may you want to disclose that? Well, we learn about a case in law school, and I've talked about it in the past, called Stambovsky v. Ackley, where a guy from New York City bought a house out in the state, and it was a beautiful house, and he moved in 
and then a bunch of people from Ghost Tours started showing up at his fucking doorstep because the prior owner had insisted that the house was haunted and had actually like appeared in Reader's Digest and held Ghost Tours and all this shit. And the guy's like, oh no, ghosts! I want to rescind my sale for the real estate. Uh, she should have disclosed that to me. There's no way I could have known about it. Even though it had been in, like, national publications. Because this was back in the 80s. And, like, there was no, no. Google. Ain't no way. Right. And prior to that time, there was a general rule of thumb. And you know this phrase. Uh, and maybe, you know, caveat emptor. Do you know what that means? No, I'm not aware of that one. You know what it means? You just don't know it in Latin. The okay. buyer beware. Oh, nice. Okay. It is, I'm making no warranties. I don't have to disclose. Caveat emptor, it is your fucking problem to discover all these things. You bought your house as is. Caveat emptor, motherfucker. If there's a problem with it, that's your issue. In Stambovsky v. Ackley, the court came back because that was their defense. Like, the, the seller had a few defenses, all right? The first defense was caveat emptor. They they bought the house. It is their problem. They should have asked whether or not it was haunted. It was haunted? That, that's a normal question you're expecting. Right. Okay. All right. Keep going. I want to hear where this goes. The, well, the court kicked that one. The court's like, you know, a home is so important. That's where we get into mandatory disclosures. Because uh, the other rule of thumb with disclosures is uh, there may be things you don't have to disclose. Right? Like... The standing water issue earlier, if there's standing water, if I, you don't have to disclose, that's probably not a latent material defect, right? Okay, all right. But if I ask you, hey, does standing water gather on the property, and you know it does, and you say no, that's an issue. What? Right? You know why? Because yeah, right. it's fraud. You've lied to me. You know right. it does. I asked. It affected my decision. I made it material by asking about it. At that point. So Let, if I go into these things with a list of every question ever, my bases are covered. It, exactly. For, for, for a good portion. Yeah. And that's actually the New York court in Stambowski v. Ackley. That's what they were saying was basically we're not going to apply caveat emptor like that to home purchases. Residential home purchases are very uh, personal things. They're very important things. And we're not going to make them think of every single thing that they should ever have to ask. Right, okay. yeah. Uh, so we're going to discard caveat emptor. We're going to say there's certain things that you have to disclose. That's where we get the idea of you must disclose a latent material in, uh, a latent material defect in the home, even if they That's don't ask well about it. Good. But I got to ask the question everyone's wondering, do you need to disclose ghosts? Well, we're getting there. <laughs> because, because after disposing with that, her next defense was, um, by the way, ghosts don't exist, so the house can't be haunted, so I don't have to disclose it. And the court came back in that one and said, uh, you know what? No, bullshit. You, you've spent decades telling everybody, you wrote the Reader's Digest about your haunted fucking house. We're not going to let you say ghosts don't exist anymore. This is amazing. Oh my God. So... In this case, the court would not accept ghosts don't exist. Right, we, we call that a stopple. 
uh, where you can't assert a position. Estoppels were like, no, you're barred from doing this because of something else that you've done. Uh, like, uh, we, there's judicial estoppel. If you plead guilty in a criminal case, you can't then say in a civil case related to the same thing, I didn't do it. Because you pled guilty in the criminal case. You're judicially okay. estopped from doing it. Uh, estoppel. Yeah, that, that one makes sense, yeah. but I'm still loving that a court ordered, no, you believe in ghosts now, asshole. You this should, is amazing. You should read, this is actually a case you learn in law school for the idea of estoppel and for material defects and real estate disclosures. Which is why I'm talking about it with you now, because it's not actually the case we're doing today. You just have to understand those concepts to get to it. Uh, but yeah, no, in that case, like the court says, yeah, no, you, you spent forever advertising this house is haunted to people you can no longer go back and say it's not haunted for the purposes of this case we find ghosts exist um, amazing and, now could he counter suits like no you you can't tell me that something that's not real is real like it doesn't matter it, it's what we call legal fiction first of all for the purposes of this key, case means our holding is not ghosts exist this court is not saying that as a matter of law, haunted houses are real. What we're saying is, as a matter of equity, in a matter oh. of fairness, since you oh. spent so long insisting ghosts were real in regards to this house, you can no longer claim the house is not haunted because ghosts don't exist. There's nothing he can do about that. In a reasonable world, he's not going to be able to use that for right. his uh, counter trial or whatever right. that is. Well, because this was an appeals matter. The trial had already happened. This is amazing. And, Holy shit, I oh, love this. The court, it, write, write it down and go read it when we're done because it's a great opinion. It fucking references the Ghostbusters. Yes. I, it, it goes all out. It's It's wonderful. It's just a wonderful piece of fun legal writing, Stambovsky v. Ackley. Uh, and then the court, the court came in and they said, okay, well, even if ghosts exist, all right, it wasn't a latent defect. Yeah, first it was, it's not material. And they're like, well, what's material is going to be different from buyer to buyer. Yeah, there's some things that are always material. There's some things that if the buyer raises it, you've got to consider it. All right. right, because it's 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 your home. You're buying it as a home, so what's important is gonna be different. We're we're going to say there are some things that are important to every single buyer. Does the basement flood? You right. know, shit like that. And then we're gonna say there are some things that you know the the buyers really it's it's material from the beginning because it's particular to those sensitivities. Right. Uh, so that was their first one. Their second one was ghosts don't fucking exist. Their third one was it wasn't a latent defect. That that was her third argument. It wasn't a latent defect. It had appeared in Reader's Digest. The paper here in town had been reporting about it for a long time. It was on a and ghost they tour today. Uh, and they did. You know, if they had done research, reasonable research, they would have discovered this. And the court came back and said. This is upstate New York. This motherfucker's from Manhattan. It is the 80s. How is he going to find out you've been advertising the house as haunted if you don't tell him? Is he going to go down to the fucking newspaper office and pull out yeah. archives and shit? This was the, the 80s. There was no Google. How are you ever going to find out? The court in that case came back and said, we're going to rescind the sale. We're going to say you got to give this guy his money back. 
You you take the house because you advertise the house is haunted. You have to understand that principle to understand today's case. I am so terrified. Hit me, buddy. Let's do this. In 1993, Constantine Kamboulis of Thornton, PA, a a Greek restaurant owner. Uh, You could not get more Greek with that name if you wanted to, by the way. Constantine Kamboulis. Built a beautiful house in Pennsylvania. I'm going to, to share with you right now the Kambulis house. Let me let me bring uh, that up and get it over so you can take a look at this. Because I want your opinion of, of this house when we when we look you. at it. I want you to be able to look at this house and really appreciate it. This house. All right, it's coming in for me now. Do you see that? You see that house? Well, McMansion-y, but I mean, sleeping. Uh, well, it's, it's the nineties. It's the nineties, right? Look very, at this. Very suburban. Uh, yeah. Look at the foyer. It's it's gorgeous in a style that I just do not like. <laughs> hey, they got a piano. There's knickknacks in the corner. Look. Yeah. No, this that, is. Hold on, we're, we're going to go through these photos because I want you to see this. Because this is, you know, how much do you think that house would have cost in Chicago? Just, just out of, Oh, in Chicago? Yeah. In Chicago, this is a million dollar house. Yeah, in Thornton, PA, this house sold for $620,000 last year. Oh, and if you're talking about like, this is a, a million dollar suburban Chicago house. If you're talking about Chicago proper, this is a multi-million dollar house. It's 600000 yeah, six hundred and twenty thousand dollars last year. I, it's just, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's got a yard. It's even got a little fucking hole. Wait till you see the aerials. It's got a fucking lake. It's got a little pond. No, no, the property again is gorgeous. It's just the sprawl that makes me want to wretch. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's it's amazing. It's a it's a sweet little house, right? So that's that's the house Constantine Kambulis built for him and his wife back in 1993. Um, And they they lived there. They had, uh, I think, three kids um, out there. And uh, and they were raising, had had a wonderful little life. Just just one of the little little restaurant owners with just this amazing house out there in the 90s going into the early, uh, early... 2000s uh it's yeah the literal old school american dream like yeah. he nailed it right there yeah, that, that, that is what we grew up with hearing all the time they, they were they were regular attendees uh them their two sons and their daughter were regular attendees at the local greek orthodox church they had nine cats and three dogs uh the neighbors would say that they kept to themselves but they always seemed really really friendly now Kids get older, things happen, marriages fall apart. And in, in about 2005, Constantine Kabulis and his wife started having marital troubles. Uh, yeah, they, they were arguing. Constantine was sleeping in one of the guest rooms or downstairs. His wife was sleeping in the bedroom. He was trying to figure out uh, how to fix all of their marital problems. You know, the kids are, aren't that old. They're, you know, they're, I think their youngest son was like 11 then. Um and he's doing all the normal things, right? Like when you fight with your significant other, what do you do? 
right? You try to make up as soon as possible and get to that crazy, crazy makeup sex. Right, and, and if you can't, you, you're like, okay, well, the, the relationship's over, right? And maybe it's... Oh, no, 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 no. you always but, get the makeup sex. Yeah. <laughs> Afterwards, then you can end the shit. I mean, you gotta... You gotta get that makeup sex. And together, like maybe you buy them gifts, you take them to shows, you do sweet things, right? Everything you can. So, what do you think Constantine did? Well, I'm looking at that suburban home, so uh, I'm going to guess. I don't know. Started a garden for her, took her out to a movie, made dinner. Uh, he walked into the master bedroom while she was getting dressed, shot her several times, and then blew his own brains out. Yeah, that sounds pretty Midwestern. Got it. Sounds good. Uh, Here we go. And, and, oh, it's worse. It's worse because their 11-year-old son who was homesick from school that day is the one who discovered the bodies. Oh, good. Um, Oh, and, like, this had happened in the early morning hours. We know that because neighbors were like, we thought we heard fireworks at, like, 4 a.m. Oh. Uh, oh. Just horrible scene. The children find them. They run to the neighbors. The neighbors call the cops. The cops come out. Uh, you know, three kids, two two little boys, a, a little girl uh, in that house at the time. Uh, Twelve animals. Um, you know, of course, the family came all around them. And, and circled them up, and I'm, I'm kidding. There was no family. Uh, the kids got sent to a uh, Greek Orthodox orphanage. Oh. And now the cats have tasted human blood because we know that happened. Well, yeah, actually, we do. Oh God, what have I said? Be- what did I do? Be- because um, after the bodies were removed and the kids were taken to the orphanage, nobody called the. Um, the animal rescue league for the nine cats and three dogs and the neighbors for several days afterwards uh, could hear the animals howling in the house wandering the hallways oh Oh god Uh, until finally somebody said what should we do about the 12 pets and that that's when the pets were taken and adopted out so yeah the the animals have definitely tasted human blood at that point yeah. Um, oh, this, boy. this was big news. Did you get a blood kitty? Who wants a blood kitty? Oh, blood ritual kitty. Um, th- this is like, this is Amityville horror shit. Yeah, this right. is a this new is... level of what the fuck. This is why you live in Chicago proper. When we hear fireworks, we just call the cops. Now, now I don't live that far from Thornton, and Thornton's not a big town. It's it's not like the city. It's it's a bedroom community. It's near Philly, um, and it is just kind of like the sleepy small southeast Pennsylvania town. It really is. Um, so this was big news there. You know, there was a murder-suicide, kids were at the orphanage, animals are roaming the halls, wailing mournfully at night. This was huge news, it was all over the place. Uh, obviously, no one wanted to buy the fucking house. So it, so it goes up for an auction sale, and uh, a couple guys named the Giacanos, uh, he and his wife, Kathleen and Joseph Giacano, actually bought it at the auction for $450,000. This was back in 2006. Okay. All right. So back in 2006, they buy the house. They go in. They remodel. They they rehab the property. Like 
It, you said there were 12 animals in there for four days. Yeah, they did have to remodel. Those subfloors are gone. And, That's and it. The Chicanos say that, like, and their original intent wasn't to actually sell the property afterwards. They, they were going to remodel it, and then they were actually going to give it to their daughter as a wedding present, which... <laughs> Hey, that's such I a mean, such a good track record with with families. Uh, for some people, regifting isn't enough. We gotta show you how little we care while caring this much. I care four hundred and fifty thousand dollars about you living in a murder house. That is a family full of love, understanding, and so many skeletons in the closet that their gay son doesn't have enough room. Well, the thing was, the, the Jacanos would later say that when they showed up at the auction for the house, like everybody was bidding on furniture and shit, but when it came time to auction off the house, like nobody was fucking bidding. Like nobody in like the town was nobody's bidding on the house. And he's like four fifty and like sold. Um, Holy and, shit! And he would even later say, "I didn't know it was the murder house." He lived like six miles away. He's like, "I didn't know it was the murder house when I bought it." Don't bother me, but but I didn't know. So they find out about it. they remodel the place. Uh, they actually end up putting enough into remodeling it that they can no longer justify just giving it away to their daughter. They're like, okay, we got to recoup some of this. So uh, they list it for sale. Now, keep in mind, at the time they list it for sale, they're aware of the murder-suicide. They're aware of the howling animals. They're aware of the orphans. They're aware of all of this. And they they go to their realtor. And they say, uh, do we have to disclose this? And the the realtor looks over the Pennsylvania laws regarding mandatory real estate disclosures, comes back and says, no. Because in Pennsylvania, there is no law saying you have to disclose deaths or those sorts of events in the property. There are some states that do have laws like that. California, I think it's like going back, I want to say three years if somebody's died in the property, you have to disclose it. There's certain exceptions, like if it's an AIDS patient or something like that, you don't have to disclose it. But some states do have mandatory Please. disclosures for that. Right. Pennsylvania did not. They're, so the realtor's like, no, you don't have to disclose it. And then the realtor's like, but you probably fucking should. Like, like you probably should tell serious buyers, hey, by the way, this is the side of that horrible Greek murder-suicide. Um, and they went... No, um, no, no, I did like, I got to play devil's advocate again because everything you've explained to me, this doesn't sound like anything that hurts the property's value. It's just mentally, this is horrific and shouldn't happen. Like, I agree they should disclose it, but legally, well, damn, it's uh, it's weird. We will get to that actually, because, uh, they put it up for sale. This is 2007 now. All right. Okay. Uh, they put it up for sale in California. Uh, there's a woman named uh, I believe it's Barbara. Let me make let me let me look at my note. Janet Janet Milliken uh, out in California. She is actually from Pennsylvania originally. Uh, she was living out in California. She had two teenage children there with her. Uh, her husband Frank had gotten cancer, and in spring of 2006. Uh, actually just a few months after, uh, the, the, uh, Constantinos murders, um, her husband dies. 
So okay. she's recently widowed. She's in California. She's got the teenage kids. She's living in this house that her and her husband have built together. Uh, and she decides, I want to move to be closer to my family in Pennsylvania. This is this is a hard time. We need a fresh start. We need a new life. We need to get away from the lingering specter of death. Uh, and her family uh, suggests that she check out a real estate listing on the internet uh, for a house in Thornton, Pennsylvania. No. Oh, God. Oh, God. So, I love this story. So she comes out. She views the house with this really nice guy named Giacano. Uh, and she makes an offer and she buys the house for $600,000 and moves her family in. Uh, and, you know, they, they lived happily ever after. There was no problem with it ever since then, uh, except for, like, the next year she noticed at Halloween kids wouldn't come up to the fucking door. They would stand on the road and point at the house and whisper and walk off. Uh, oh her her children's friends wouldn't come by. Um, she she and her children started saying they experienced things in the home, seeing shadows and feeling touches in cold spots throughout their house. Come on! And that's when she went over to a neighbor and asked. This was in two thousand eight, and asked, "Hey, is there anything up- house a year? A, a year." She goes to a neighbor, like nobody's told her. She goes to a neighbor and she says, uh, is there anything about the house we should know? And the neighbor breaks down in tears and says, oh my God, we all thought you knew. Holy shit. Oh my God. And that's when Janet Milliken finds out that she is living in the house of an infamous and heavily news-covered murder-suicide. She goes, she talks to a lawyer, and they sue the Giacanos, the Giacanos real estate agent, and their own real estate agent for failing to disclose this, saying that it, it should be obvious that that would have such an impact that it should be disclosed. It should be a mandatory disclosure. In support of this, they get a guy called the King of Disaster, who is a real estate appraiser. He is okay. Is this some kind of television show on HDTV? Right? Fucking right. Like, That's no, what it sounds like. Oh, you, you, like, look, if you look up news articles about this lawsuit, you got to see, like, the king of disaster. Like, he's got pictures of earthquake damaged properties around his offices and corners vans in front of bungalows and shit like that. All he does is travel the country appraising stigmatized properties. A stigmatized property is a property where some horrible event has taken place or that has some horrible connection to it. So this is obviously a stigmatized property. Holy Uh, shit. Are you telling me that capitalism made ambulance chasers worse? Oh, yeah. Fuck me. Uh, I'm allowed to swear on your show, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, Fuck yes. Like the the mansion where Sharon Tate was murdered, a stigmatized property. Jeffrey Dahmer's childhood home is a stigmatized property. It's a property where there's there may not be something wrong with it, except the history of it is bad enough that it could materially impact the value. Wow. And they sue in the Court of Common Pleas of Delaware County, Pennsylvania, to say this was fraud. It should have been disclosed to us. 
It's a violation of what we call Pennsylvania's unfair trade practice consumer protection law that it wasn't disclosed to us. We should get three times the value of what we paid back and they should have to buy the house back from us. All right. Oh my God. Okay. So that's their case. This murder was so horrible that it is a material defect that increases the, that are, that decreases the value of the home to us and to any reasonable buyer with this guy backing it up the the king of disaster say, no, there's definitely an impact on the value. Uh, and that it should have been a mandatory real estate disclosure as a latent material defect as to the value of the home, not only to this particular purchaser, but to all purchasers. Oh my God. This all right. okay. So what you're saying is, when I sell this place, I need to tell them all about the crayons up four foot on the wall in the locked room. Is that what you're telling me? I should probably tell people about this. I mean, like maybe not. <laughs> okay, thank you. Good because I'm going to get into trouble either way. This case goes all the way to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, and in 2014, the uh, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court steps in takes a look at it and what do you think they decided okay all right hold on genuinely after listening to all of this you said this is 2007 right 2007 is when she bought the house 2008 is when she found out about the murders there are court cases between that and in 2014 the pennsylvania supreme court considers it all right my guess, this is where I'm going with this, and I am metagaming the shit out of this because of things you have said throughout the show. My guess is, since Google does exist in 2007, and because she could have easily done any search on this house, it sounds like this would have been the first thing that came up. I'm going to say that she did not do her due diligence. Uh, the house is hers. That is certainly part of the reasoning. The biggest part of the reasoning is that... Was it close? Yeah. It, the biggest yeah. part of the, of the reasoning, because that, that feeds into it, which is you could have discovered this. So, so it's not really a latent defect. It's 2007. You could have Googled it. You could have asked directly about it. You didn't. Therefore... But it's one paragraph of a several-page decision. A lot What's of the rest. A lot of the rest is our disclosure law regards defects in the structure of the property. Uh, it doesn't regard defects in the history of the property. That's amazing. Well, what if the blood soaked into the floor? Now that's a defective it floor. Is, it is funny you should mention that. Oh, because, shit me. No way. Because this is what we call a matter of first impression. A claim that a psychological trauma within the house was a uh, material defect that must be disclosed under the real estate disclosure law was a matter of first impression for the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. A matter of first impression is this is the first time we've heard this argument. It wasn't a matter of first impression for any court in Pennsylvania because one of our court of common pleas, which is the trial courts in Pennsylvania, had actually heard one where somebody had committed suicide in the bedroom, the blood had soaked through the carpet and into the floorboards, the owners, instead of disclosing it when they sold the house, just cut out the blood-soaked carpet and matched it with a new piece of carpet, and, oh the, and the buyer discovered when they were replacing the flooring in the bedroom and found the blood that had soaked into the floorboards. 
Oh my god. Oh, come on. And the trial court in that, which had never been appealed up, the trial court in that one said, no, our real estate disclosure law is about, uh, is about structural defects. It's, it's not about psychological defects in the property. We don't consider those to be material. That was cited in the Supreme Court opinion. In this case, it was called Milliken v. Chicano is this case. Uh, that was cited in support of it. Additionally, the justice who wrote the majority opinion in Milliken v. Giacano, the case we're talking about, the Greek murder house case, okay, comes in and says, and if we put into it that a death of a tragic nature is a psychological defect that must be disclosed, where do we stop? Does it stop if somebody dies of cancer? Do, do we have to do we have to disclose the heroin overdose in the house? Do we oh have to? Oh my god! Like 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 there's it's like you know like you know we're, 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 this this one's horrible, but the next one is like, <laughs> you kind of sit there thinking, okay, man, but this wasn't a heroin overdose. A guy shot his wife in the bedroom. His kids went to an orphanage, and the animals wandered the bloodstained halls of their house alone and howling for several nights. <laughs> This is this is the Ernest P. World. How you summon the troll? No, it could only happen on a night like tonight. If a P. World like me puts his hands on this tree like this, Boozy, we're summoning demons here. We should disclose hell. Like, and now part of their argument was based on it's a part of Pennsylvania code that I'm actually very familiar with from my private practice 49 PA code 35.335A which is the sample real estate disclosure form for the sale of residential property in Pennsylvania and if you look yes. at it all 16 points on that it, it it is it is structural defects when was the roof last replaced? Uh, do you know if there's water intrusion damage? Uh, do you have knob and tube wiring? What type of pipes are in the walls to the best of your knowledge? It, it really is. But there's one provision that just reads as follows. Are you aware of any material defects to the property, dwelling, or fixtures which are not disclosed elsewhere on this form? A material defect is a problem with the property or any portion of it that would have a significant adverse impact on the value of the residential real property or that involves an unreasonable risk to people on the land. No, and she, the miscellaneous clause gets them. Her whole case was based on this is a material defect because the murder, the the horrific horror movie esque murder suicide that took place in this house has a material impact on the value. And the Pennsylvania Supreme Court came back and said, "Okay, yeah, but we're really talking about structural shit, not shit that's like from John Carpenter's wet dreams." Um, <laughs> Like, we're not talking about Eli Roth's residential disclosure form here. Um, so, hey, but to me, this seems like they're following, and please help me out here, they're following the letter of the law more than the purpose. The purpose of that law is to make sure that you're not losing value on the house for something you didn't right. know. Am I correct? Right, but it, and to some degree, it's supposed to protect the buyer, first of all. But it's also, right. to some degree, protecting the seller because once you make those disclosures, if you've disclosed it, then they don't get to come back later and say, you didn't tell me about this. Okay. And sue you oh, okay. It's harder to think. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. And, and the yeah. idea is we should be protecting 
these buyers. We really should be protecting these buyers, but at the same time, to what degree do we force the seller to take on a burden? And in this case, that concept, that thought was uh, twofold, uh, well, three really. One, we're really talking about structural things. Two, as the court said, where do we stop? Once we start saying this is a material defect, if there's a death in the house, where do we stop and how much discretion are we putting? You know, is it just traumatic deaths? Okay, well, what's a traumatic death? Your grandmother, who you love, died in the living room uh, of cancer. It was traumatic to you. Is that so traumatic that it must be disclosed? I agree, and I understand that they would want to say something like that in the law, but you want to talk about a layman's opinion here? I don't know where that line is, but you know where it's not? Murder-suicide with 12 howling animals licking the blood of their owners until a new traumatized family moves into the house, gets lambasted for a year, not knowing what's going on, and makes a neighbor break down crying. Your law is flawed, friend. So, <laughs> I'm not going to necessarily disagree with you. I would think, like, I love the fact, by the way, just as a side note, uh, like, Milliken was like, my real estate agent who is from the area definitely should have fucking told me about this. And <laughs> that part of the case didn't get to the Supreme Court because the lawyers for her real estate agent that helped facilitate the buy was like, no, yeah, fair enough. Here's a settlement. Um, <laughs> That's hysterical. That's funny. So, and adding on to that, and it is specifically mentioned in the justice's opinion, is it's 2007, it was highly publicized. If she had done an internet search on the address, she would have found out about this. Yeah, that, I, uh, that one I hate to agree with, but yeah, I mean, yeah, so, you got like to do something. Now, now think about how that would go. If, if the New York case that we talked about, Stamboski v. Ackley at the very beginning, Right. If that had been in 2009, would that have changed the outcome on Stambovsky? Could the court have said, well, we don't think it's because part of that reasoning was it's not reasonable to expect him to go to like newspaper archives and shit. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, honestly, like you said, like I said, dude, it's you type in that address once that comes up. You would have discovered my place. Yeah, I mean, so so that's another part of it. Now, here's my fun. I homeless people lived here for a long time, a long ass time. It was a problem. You can very much tell my studio has a repaired wall that they needed to do for my door frame. That's where everyone was coming in. I, I, when I got the door guy out here to help, help me out, he's like, oh, you should tear this place down. People were living in here. And I said, I'm poor. But but that's because, like I said, this is really a difference between what's a mandatory disclosure and what's a conditional disclosure, too. If she had asked, you know, hey, do you know of anyone who's died in this house? And they'd be like, no, that changes the ball game too. Absolutely. He's just lying at that point. Because, I got to yeah. assume most of your laws revolve around don't fucking lie. Yeah, it, it, it's what we call the difference between a mandatory disclosure, something you got to tell people, doesn't matter whether they ask or not, and a conditional disclosure, one that if you're asked about, you must make. 
as to it. The, the idea being that if somebody's asking about it, they obviously care about it enough that we should tr- probably treat it as material. At that point. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, you know what? I learned one very important thing here today. Basement Con still has the greatest law structure in history. <laughs> Boozy, would you like to remind everyone what Basement Con's rules, of re- rules and regulations are? Basement Con, for my listeners, is a small private convention that we put on uh, annually, and we have one rule for it. It is, don't make us make rules. The, the second we have to make a rule, it's done. Um, I love it. It's the greatest rule ever. Now, there's two things left that you have to know about this case. Okay. One, I have a personal connection to it. How? How? The Supreme Court Justice who wrote the opinion in Milliken v. Giacano is a man by the name of J. Michael Eakin. He is the Pennsylvania. Okay. J. Michael Eakin was my trial mentor in law school and helped me get my first legal job while he was a sitting Pennsylvania Supreme Court justice. That's awesome. At the time that he was considering and hearing this case, I was at his Christmas party. Oh, come on. Yep. I was at his Christmas party in his chambers in Harrisburg. We used to send him cookies. <laughs> <laughs> the sec- so you were around for 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 the the murder house. Yes. Uh, the second part is remember uh, when when we said when the court said, oh well, it's uh, it's not so bad that uh, that it could in- impact the value. We're not going to consider that a uh, material defect, right? Okay. All right. I- I'm going to share something with you in just a moment. Uh, right. Remember what I said? She purchased the house for. Hold her family so that no, 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 the, the, the price, the price oh, she 600, purchased 600,000. Now, you may not remember this from uh, from the very beginning of the show, but uh, but mm-hmm. I certainly do, and it is what is the value the house sold for last year? Oh, no. Let me share the screen with you and show you something. Oh, no. All right, taking a look. Zillow sold for 620. 620. Let me bring oh my God. Let me bring this up. Hold on. If you scroll down, it sold for $620,000 on July 29th of 2021 when housing prices were going insane, right? Yep. Let's take a look at the price history here. Oh, please. You see right here, 119-2007 sold $450,000. That's the Jacanos buying the house at auction. 821 2007 sold for $610,000. That is Miss Milliken. Buying the house from the Jacanos. Right. Look at how many times it was listed for sale, went under contract, was pending sale, and then relisted for sale until it finally sold for $620,000 in July of 2021. She sold the house 
She sold the house for $10,000 more than she bought it for. It's so sad. Oh, my God. So, was it a material defect? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, very fucking much so. History has proven. Call your friend right now. Get him on the show. <laughs> I don't, I don't think he, he actually, believe it or not, he resigned from the Pennsylvania Supreme Court under a cloud. Um, really? Uh, there, there was a scandal. He got very minorly caught up with it and resigned oh. uh, during it. But that, ladies and gentlemen, that is Milliken v. Giacano, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court case that said uh, a murder-suicide where orphans were the result and animals wandered the halls howling at night is not a material defect that must be disclosed uh, in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. I cannot wait to sell my house. <laughs> you may gain, you may gain value from it. I'm telling you, man, I, I moved in here to a room with crayons four foot up the walls and a room that locked from the outside. I am now worried about what I'm supposed to disclose. And folks, that will do it for episode 22 of Boozy's Legal Funhouse, A Tale of Two Caveats. Alkali, thank you so much for coming. I can't wait to find a case to blow your mind next time. I'm so excited to do this with you, friend. This is a blast, and I'm looking forward to doing more. So until next time, thank you for joining me. I am the Boozy Badger, Boozy Barrister, my co-host, Alkali Bismuth of The Dragon Show. Remember, if you like this and you want to support it, you can do that over at patreon.com slash liquor. If you like Alkali, Alkali, what is the Patreon that they can go to to support you and Zanny? Uh, they can find us over on, hold on, I'm going to switch the screen that I know most people can't see. Uh, you can find us over on uh, patreon.com backslash Dragget show d-r-a-g-g-e-t show uh that's the name of the show that we've been doing now for almost uh 11 years oh god so until next time i'm boozy this is alkali thank you for joining me here on boozy's legal funhouse and you have a wonderful rest of your evening or day